Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast in the... I, I forgot I say our names. <clears throat> Welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we bring Thanos to Deadpool, get a look into Ragnarok, check in with Greg Rucka's Seven to Eternity, and find out what makes a new Superman. Stay tuned for all this and more. Hello, everybody, and welcome indeed to the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. Indeed. I'm David Luzader, and that is Nick Shermooksness, and you are you, and we are all here together out of our love of comic books. Oh, nope, nope, stuff is playing. Other stuff is playing. It should not be playing. We're good. We're good. I have have fixed the problem. Everybody keep your pants on, except for Nick, who told me before the show, hey, I'm going to go take my pants off. I put new pants on. That's a shame. I mean, not like not. I mean, it's a shame that you would. Take... Are you pant shaming me? Yeah, I am. Right, I am right now. I can't believe this is my that thing now. This is what I do. I shame people for the pants they wear. Shaming me. You know what's a trend? I'm glad is gone. Skinny jeans. Oh, skinny jeans. Did you ever? Did you ever dive into that? Well, because I have no shame. Oh. Oh God! I uh, I did have a brief run in with skinny jeans in the uh, in my youth. Uh, I'm trying to remember what year yeah, of high school it was. That I wore them like maybe sophomore, early junior. But I remember talking about it with a girl that uh, I dated in my senior year. So I'm gonna go with at some point in high school I wore skinny jeans, and at some point later on in high school I tried to put my skinny jeans back on. And I I couldn't get them past like my knees basically, um, so it was you know it was wonderful while it lasted, but it wasn't in fact actually wonderful, and I'm glad it's gone. And uh, I like to be able to breathe down there, you know what I mean? Yeah, no. Uh, this has been Nick's bad life decision corner. We usually like to start the show with me asking a completely innocuous question and you being like, oh, well, you know, once upon a time I did stick my uh, finger into a duck's mouth and, well, apparently they have tiny teeth. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right with my life. <laughs> that sounds like something that would happen. Probably happened on your way to work for all I know. Nick, do ducks follow you? Be honest. Um. Okay, so not necessarily ducks, but we do have a <laughs> lot... How do you have an what? answer for this question? I Okay, listen. Uh, outside of my apartment is a whole flock of geese, which are basically just like more evil versions of ducks. And they will sit in the road and not move if you try to drive by. Um, uh, when it's Easter, I guess this is topical because Easter is coming up. Hey. When it's Easter and you put plastic eggs outside, they will find them before you get back to them with children. They will eat them, and then people will cry. Uh, geese Specifically, been... adults, not the kids. The kids were fine. I cried. I was very emotional. It was awful. Um, geese, geese have been ruining family holidays for years. 
It's it, it really is a problem. I would really like our current administration to deal with it. Oh boy, why would you dive this into a political discussion <laughs> for anything? That's as far as I went. You're the one taking it further. You said current Dave. administration. Yeah, well, I can't uh, say the past administration or the future administration. It's true. Uh, my brother, who's like a real type A personality guy, terrified mm-hmm. of geese. Like you've met my brother, he's kind of got an edge to him. Uh, likes to try to pick fights occasionally. Guys, terrified of geese. It's weird. That's good to know. If uh, if, if he ever, if I ever, I, get... mean, I don't, I don't see him picking a fight with me. Oh no, I've been logistic reasons, but I've been training a goose like for just such an occasion. I always take it back to Arizona with me, and it's always <laughs> like just around the corner of the room I'm in when I'm talking to yeah. him, and like it, like I, it has, it knows the word. You know, I just have to say the correct word, and the goose will just come in there, wings a flapping. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, bro. I don't, I don't really, uh, I don't really agree with you there. Well, I don't. Oh, hey, oh, geese, come in. It's not gonna be. Hey, ge- it's like not. Nah, like I gotta slip a word into conversation. And it's gonna seem like natural. Hammerschmidt. Okay, I don't know how you got the word, but uh, yeah, it's Hammerschmidt. Who is I think. Hammer? Who is Hammerschmidt? I don't know, but I have a feeling you're gonna Google it. Schmidt. Hammer. Uh, it's probably nothing. Schmidt. No, it's a thing. Okay. Hammerschmidt is. What am I looking at? That is a great question. Only one that you can answer, and the people who are currently spying on you. I guess it's a tool. This is a how weird many, website. How many lists are you now on? Um, for just, just googling Hammerschmidt, like I have begun to do. Um, I just I don't understand this picture with this like squirrel holding a bloody chainsaw. Wait, what? I just sent I sent you the link. Okay, it's loading up. This is such great podcast material. Like people at home are I, loving this. I no, okay. What listen, did I, you send me? A sh- oh, sorry. A Schmidt hammer, also known as a Swiss hammer or a rebound hammer, is a device to measure the elastic properties or strength of concrete or rock. But I thought hammer Schmidt. Like there are things saying hammer Schmidt, like one word. For some reason, I think I was thinking of the guy that did um, who did Into the Woods. Rogers and, is that Rogers and Hammerstein? Is that what you're thinking of, Hammerstein? No, who? Who? I don't. What did I, they do? Uh, man, I was. We've part of my brain was thinking of Stephen Sondheim. For yeah, Stephen like, Sondheim. I thought Hammerschmidt was related to some sort of uh, musical writer director. Well, type person. There is Rogers and Hammerstein who uh, are, are known for many wonderful American theater classics, such as Cinderella, uh, Carousel, Oklahoma, South Pacific, The King and I, The Sound of Music. Right. So that is probably where my head was going as well. Uh-huh. I just I didn't think it was a hammer. I guess I'll just start Sledge there hammer. or some kind of tool. Um, but anyway, now that we've sufficiently wasted people's time, we oh, will no. get into the meat of why they're actually here. Welcome to Goose Talk, in. everybody. We're here to continue talking about geese and the effects they have on our lives. Caller, you're on. Quack, quack, quack. <laughs> oh, no. The geese know how to work phones. Quick, let's talk <laughs> about comic book news. To the Batmobile. Let's go. All right, first up on our docket is that Greg Rucka and Liam Sharp are leaving Wonder Woman with issue number 25. Okay, first up, I just have to say that I'm sad that that first up on our docket was not followed up with something about Rocket Raccoon. First up on our docket, 
something about Rocket. Well, that if, we don't even have a news story. Ugh. Greg Rucka and Liam Sharp are leaving Wonder Woman with issue number 25. Yeah, thank you. Greg Rucka cites that it was the um, pretty aggressive schedule because the book has been shipping bi-weekly uh-huh. that plays into his decision that he has no ill feelings towards DC. That it's a decision that he feels is the best for him to be able to support his other collaborators on his other projects. Uh, and he was very thankful for the experience. Liam Sharp is leaving uh, because I don't know why, because I forgot to link an article to exactly why he was leaving, other than that the headline said that he was. David, carry on. <laughs> that he was what? Oh, the reason that he's leaving uh, DC? No, Liam Sharp, I know at the very least, is leaving Wonder Woman, but oh. not DC. Yeah. Well, it's it's understandable that these guys would maybe want to kind of back off on, on this. I know Greg Rucka, I mean, Greg Rucka's writing 18 other books and I'm sure he's found Wonder Woman's probably taken up more of his time. You'll even be talking about a Greg Rucka book uh, later in the show. And, uh, and we've talked on this show before about how working for the big two, you know, you have to meet very strict deadlines. That stuff's coming out all the time. So for an artist, I'm sure uh, who is not like Greg Capullo, like it's got to be difficult to to stay on any one property without a, a significant break, um, mm. so, especially I mean, on an accelerated schedule. Yeah, absolutely. And you know they've they've done good work. It sounds like this is not them being like we got fired off the book. It's just like hey, we came to a natural place where we could step off, and DC was amenable to that, and so we're going to go move on, work on other things now. And it sounds like that their run has been pretty well received in the same way that say Azarello and Chiang's run was well received at the outset mm-hmm. of new 52. Um, I never read it, so I really can't speak personally to the quality of it, but I know that a lot of people felt um, dissatisfied with the Finch run that came that multiple Finches. There was yeah. Meredith Finch and, and David Finch uh, yeah. that came afterwards. Um, so hopefully whoever they get to continue on after, uh, with issue 26, um, you know, hopefully they're a, a you know, a triple a AAA quality creative team. Got my fingers crossed. Lee, Wonder Woman is a character that I respect a lot, that I enjoy like aspects of her history, but it's almost like I enjoy reading about what her history was or is, uh-huh. but have a very hard time getting like ever getting so excited and like super invested, like month to month to month reading her book. Uh, even with Greg Rucka's run, which I did start off initially, I just kind of trailed off. Um, yeah. So I'm really looking for that creative team that's just going to lock me in place. Yeah, I'd really like to see. Period. I'd like to see a, a female writer get on the book at this point, um, especially with a movie coming out. Like, there's going to be a big push from them. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, whoever they whoever they bring in, they got to bring their A game. And I feel bad saying Gail Simone because I realized I don't know a lot of female writers that are, are working in comics right now. And that's. And Gail Simone has written Gail Wonder Simone Woman. Gail Simone has written Wonder Woman. Um, and, and, I, and I enjoy Gail Simone's work and I want to see Gail Simone doing more work. But I, I, I got to learn some more female writers, especially ones that work with the big two. I'm, I feel pretty ashamed right now. Well, Becky, I know Becky Clooney. That's Becky most. Clooney. I, I don't know if she has any how much interest she has in Wonder Woman per se, right. but I know that she's been doing more writing lately with Southern Cross and The Punisher at Marvel. And, and and she's working on, or she's still is she still working on Gotham Academy? Yes. Yeah, I think that book is on its way of wrapping. Oh, Jodie Picoult wrote Wonder Woman at one point briefly. I forgot that. Um, 
I don't. I think that, that there's probably been definitely less than ten, maybe even less than five, as far as writers go, women and and maybe even artists, but oh, definitely so less than five. There's a bunch of names here now that I, I'm looking up that I've I've heard, but you know I was not able to pick out of the punch bowl immediately. Um, and I, I do want to say like I probably I don't know how many comic writers in general like I can I can automatically list off that are not like Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka. That's literally mm-hmm. all I can think of Scott Snyder. Like I can think of like three right now. <laughs> Looking up, uh, I, you know, yeah, there's lots of great names. Gail Simone, Kelly Sudaconic, G. Willow Wilson, Fiona Staples writes. I thought Fiona Staples was just I think she's arts. done some writing. Um, uh, I can Amanda also Connor, see... Nic- oh, Nicholas Scott is doing some work. Yeah, yeah Nicholas there's... Scott has done some writing. Um, who, who am I? Uh, Margaret Bennett, uh, who's doing Batwoman right now for yes. DC. Yep. Um, she she could do that, you know. And I think, and what's important is whether there there definitely needs to be more. Not obviously there needs to be more female writers, female you know whether they be white or or woman of color, what or or of different sexual orientations. We obviously just need a, a stronger, more diverse force of women writers you know, and artists too. But definitely, as far as fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your position, you know the writer has a lot of clout as far as the story direction and. You know, while the art can definitely does a lot of heavy lifting as far as a story, you know, you can still have a fantastic artist whose whose story gets marred by ineffective writing. And on top of just obviously, you want someone that's a great writer, but someone needs like there needs to be someone that just somehow breaks through that ceiling and just be, gets like that triple A star power that gets attributed to a, a lot of male writers in comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that breakthrough happens on one Woman, I'd be happy to see it. I mean, really on anything. Um, but I, I, I want, I, Wonder Woman's just obviously a great and historical character that I want people to be able to get excited for, especially with their movie coming out in yeah. like two months. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, excellent. Uh, we look forward and I'm sure we will talk about whoever the next creative team is. And I know we're probably both crossing, crossing fingers for, uh, for a female driven team on that book. Fingers across,ing uh, next in our story lineup. This is interesting. Yes, Josh it is. Brolin to play Cable in Deadpool two. Uh huh. David, what do you think? So Josh Brolin, uh, for his super memorable role as Thanos in in Guardians of the Galaxy, um, and Stinger at the end of Avengers two. Uh, but who who actually has done some really great work, and I'm I'm just kind of being uh, a dick to the way that they've treated Thanos in those movies so far. Uh, Josh Brolin has done a lot of really great work. Um, he seems to be leaning into genre films right now, which is super awesome. That's kind of you know the same place that I feel like Kurt Russell, where it's like these guys who kind of had like a their badass heyday, and not to say like. Josh Brolin's that old, but I mean, Cable's known for being an older badass, mm-hmm. uh, and to kind of lean lean into that, I think, is real awesome. Um, I know there was a lot of rumors flying around. Michael Shannon was was on the list. People were thinking it might be Nathan Fillion because of the the Deadpool trailer that came out and the Firefly posters that were in there. Which Kira I, Knightley was even a contender Kira Knightley. for a brief time. Um, which I still think Nathan Fillion would have been. Uh, a great choice for the role. I people were throwing around Brad Pitt's name quite a bit. If you if you saw any of the leaked, um, oh Russell Crowe was one too. Russell Crowe. Did did you see the leaked? Uh, they had 
concept art of what of from Deadpool two, and they had Cable uh, concept art, and it was straight up Brad Pitt, like not not even trying to hide that fact. Like they design, they did all the design with Brad Pitt in mind. Are we sure it was actual? Oh yeah, like it wasn't like fake. No, it was real. Um, but anyway, this all this to say, I think Josh Brolin is a good actor. I think he's capable uh, in these sorts of roles. He is a good choice. Uh, it's 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 just kind of like it's one of those things where I hear it and I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. It's not like, it's, but it's it's also the it's the one that you, like no one thought to choose Josh. Right, Brolin, Josh Brolin's but now name that he's was chosen. Not, it's like, oh yeah, okay. It, cool. I think a lot of that may be because just kind of in the back of our collective nerd mind, we're like, oh, he's Thanos. Like he's because you don't see the crossing of the streams actor wise very much between. Right. He's already spoken for. Yeah, like even between like all, you know, Fox is kind of doing its thing. Sony's kind of getting folded into the Marvel universe. But like, if you got Fox, Sony, and DC, like those three are kind of like separate, uh, mm-hmm. and like you don't see a lot of like actor overlap. But I mm-hmm. guess J.K. Simmons is going to be in Justice League. I think we, we're kind of running out of actors at this point, so it's like they gotta start doubling up. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. There's, there's always going to be some kind of overlap. Um, I'll be definitely curious to see one. How much he'll bulk up? I mean, he's, he's a, even though he's they can, they can do motion capture technically with both of them. Um, on one hand, I don't I don't want them to do like an oversized Liefeld version of Cable. No, I'm fine with him, God, you know, no. being Be human, as, of human proportions. Yeah, I, I'm fine with him being like I know there was a Cable run back at the either just before or just after the turn of the century where they kind of like made him more like realistically proportioned, you know, muscular for sure, but but nothing too out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And I always liked that version of Cable versus the over-exaggerated version. So I'm hopefully he's obviously like beefy and muscular, but not not too unrealistically big. Uh, they can leave that to, to uh, uh, Colossus. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, I can't wait to see him with, hopefully they, they I, I totally can see him doing white hair, and obviously he'll have his, psychic eye or whatever the hell they call it <laughs> right um robot arm it'll be interesting how much they it, either as a joke even if it's a fleeting or uh, or how seriously they lean into like the actual life filled air because obviously they're the movie like deadpool for all its zaniness and ridiculousness was a fairly not subdued but restrained movie probably in part probably because of the budget i imagine mm-hmm. like while well, they're probably still working with a smaller budget than than most blockbuster films like they obviously have an opportunity to spend more yeah so again i'm hoping he's this cable is a bit more realistic but also like that i can't imagine they can't not make a joke about how ridiculous he looks from the comics Oh yeah, yeah, and they, you know, they've shown that they're doing the fourth wall break in. They're making all the jokes. Uh, just some additional details. I don't think we mentioned it, but uh, Zazie Beats has been cast as Domino. So it looks like that was announced a, a while ago. Uh, she is from uh, I can't remember the, name of the show right now. Uh, Atlanta, the Donald Glover show. I have not seen it. Heard nothing but great things. Apparently, she's really good in it. And uh, Josh Brolin has been signed or has a uh, has signed a four picture deal to play cable so it which deadpool tool to tool uh x-force maybe even his own cable film if not like an x-force 2 or or even having him show up because you know he could show up and be like hey mom and dad you look 
16 years old now. <laughs> they so, have him time travel to another X-Men period piece film. Sophie Turner, your American accent's not very good. I'll be very interested if they, again, either as a joke or seriously tie in Cable's actual family history. And if they introduce a time traveling element to them. Yeah, I'll be really I curious. I hope they do. I'll be really curious to see how they handle all of that. I imagine they've got a. They. Uh, the whole X Men timeline is so bizarrely messed up already. There's no way they, they can. They're, they're, there's no way they could be like, uh, time travel's too complicated. No, I mean, they've already done it with Days of Future Past. And Cable, act, especially through a Deadpool lens, acts as kind of like the per- perfect like cipher or whatever you want to call it to explore that concept of how messy the timeline is. Yeah, and uh, and watching Apocalypse, which uh, I know you have not seen, Nick, but I just watched recently because it's on HBO Go. And I don't pay for HBO Go, so it was literally free for me to watch it. Um it was. It's just so funny because the first X Men film, they kind of act like mutants are still this unknown force. Uh, like we don't, you know, we we know they exist, but uh, they don't. They're not really out in the public eye. And then, like from the events at the end of Days of Future Past and all through Apocalypse, it's like mutants have done so many things. They've caused so much destruction. Like we wouldn't be yeah. talking about this in like two thousand one, being like, "Have you heard of mutants?" The talks would have happened way earlier than that. That's t- especially because these these films like they they need a hard reboot. But at the same time, like, as you're saying, where you're going back and telling these stories that don't, especially if, even though like the timeline is kind of wishy washy, they've obviously made the connection that the earlier the the, the newer films tie into the you know to the earlier uh-huh. films. Um, so confusing. And, but that it, but yeah, but like every movie, like they have to have some world ending citywide destruction going on to sell the fact that serious stuff is happening. Yeah. And, but it doesn't make sense as far as like, yep, every, we just kind of sweep it under the rug until the next citywide destruction. Yeah. Uh, and this is one thing too, where I, this is one of the reasons I really dislike prequels. And I think they actually, for the X-Men series, they made the right move of going back and doing like, let's do like the younger generation, or do everybody when they're when they're younger because now they can keep this cast around for a lot longer, um, and, and they, that, that, well, but okay, let, let me let me just say this: like I hate when they're like, well, now we're gonna do like prequel stuff uh, because I this might come as a surprise to people. I didn't overly love Rogue One. I thought Rogue One was exceedingly mediocre in a number of ways, and. The ending of that film leads right into the beginning of A New Hope. Spoiler alert, people, I don't care. Uh, like, literally leads minutes into, and then people are like, this gives the beginning of New Hope so much more meaning. The conversation they're having is because, like, this just happened, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, it, it doesn't. No. They didn't film that in the 70s and be like, okay, now one day we're going to make a film that's going to lead right up to this and it's going to explain all these things and like headcanon, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, don't, don't subscribe, like don't ascribe meaning that's not there. Right. Don't, it, don't act sure. like they were acting in this way that d- wasn't happening. It wasn't intentional as, as much as it was retroactively like, ooh, we could use this opportunity to highlight something about this film. Yeah. But obviously it's not part of some master plan that's been no. going on for decades. No. And that's the thing with the X-Men movies is that it's – I mean, I want to hear, okay, you tell this a trilogy. And then it's fine if you want to go back and quote-unquote re, soft reboot, relaunch, whatever with them as, as 
younger individuals and kind of explore their origins as long as you don't tie it into the present because you're changing all these things obviously mess with the timeline spoiler alert stays the future past sucks um and uh, so again one it sucks out the wind because you know on one hand you're saying okay well we know these such and such characters shouldn't die but then maybe they do die and it's like well that doesn't make sense it's just i think it's i think they definitely need an x-men movie where they center more on the 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 teenage versions of the characters have xavier have magneto kind of floating in the background you know don't make mystique a hero uh, uh we're kind of getting carried away here it's but too late she, they, they, they need to yeah. smooth it out but maybe let the deadpool films keep doing what they're doing she's barely blue in apocalypse it's jennifer lawrence all over the place and i get that makeup is real annoying and hard to like apply and it takes a lot of time but uh, i feel like at this point they could probably just achieve it with the motion capture suit and that's why but it's also well it looks so much better i think with the with the practical applying but that's it also does. why you don't make mystique a main character of the film Who's also training the X-Men? Okay, we're not going to get into it. We're not going to get into it. Or you don't, you know, obviously Jennifer Lawrence didn't have his big star power when First Class came out, but she obviously skyrocketed. And instead of just being, instead of letting her just play Mystique true to her her source material, it was like, like she, it's almost like they they couldn't vilify, like vilifying Mystique would vilify Jennifer Lawrence, which is like, I, I, I can't speak for Jennifer Lawrence, but I imagine as an actor, the idea that, I don't have to play the same cookie cutter character in all my films. Yeah. Would be pretty enticing. Well, and, and in first class, they did a pretty good job of being like, we set her up to have this, uh, you know, kind of intriguing, a little bit of a tragic story in this trajectory that she's on. And then like they, I know you didn't like Days of Future Past, but I, I fairly enjoyed the film and I felt like they were keeping her on that trajectory fairly well. And then we're like, but because it's Jennifer Lawrence, we're going to do a hard right on that and be like and she's a hero yeah let's talk about another movie that's not out yet but looks pretty dang fun and that is that the thor ragnarok trailer has released so we've got our first look at thor at uh at the grandmaster uh and at the hulk i don't feel bad saying that because this is a teaser trailer and the hulk is in half of it so, and I mean, if you've been following the movie right. at all, this you know that the Hulk was coming. Um, if you did not know all of this, I'm not sure why you're listening to our podcast. Right. You know what this um, is, right? You know what you're listening to? This is not Ted Radio <laughs> Hour. Um, David, how did you feel about it? What, what were your thoughts? What was coursing through your veins as you watched so, it? So I actually really enjoy... Uh, the first Thor film a lot. It's still one of my favorite Marvel Cinematic uh, Universe movies. I like the 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 personal scope of it, um, in the, in the scale and the characterization that happens there. It's very Shakespearean and all that, and it re- really dug with me. Uh, the second movie's okay. It's all right. Uh, it's more kind of the standard Marvel fare, mm-hmm. uh, and this looks like hey. People really liked the crazy, uh, you know, alien adventure that was Guardians of the Galaxy. Let's inject a bit of that into Thor. And I think it it fits really well. I think everything that I saw there makes this movie look a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it's going to be very entertaining. Uh, and that's what I want out of these films. So I'm looking forward to it. 
I I agree. It looks really good. Uh, even prior to the trailer, it seemed like they're they're juggling a lot of of plot balls. Um, I mean, you have Thor. You know, apparently Hela. Um, you know, arriving, destroying Molnir, destroying Asgard. I mean, in one like snap of her fingers, Asgard is gone. Which that's a lot of power that, that will most likely power. be punked in the during the course of the film. Yeah. Um. You know, you have him being stranded on on Sakaar and be, being put in the gladiatorial matches again with the Hulk. Uh, and we are, and for those again that have been following, you already know that like he does make it back to Earth. That they're looking for Odin, who's been banished. Um, stuff like that. So it's like, obviously it all ultimately amounts in probably a climactic battle against Hela, uh, and maybe the restoring of Asgard. Um, yeah. Also, I'm, gonna... I'm imagining that the destruction of Asgard makes it so that like, they don't have to bring in the warriors three or Sif. Uh, I think I, think I saw cast. Idris Elba. Yeah. Idris Elba is in the trailer. Uh, he's, Whether like, he's in it momentarily or it's hard to say. No, it seems like they're building up of like the people of Asgard are scattered. I don't think they would just show him like, oh, this is his entire appearance in the film. Is... I wonder if Zachary Levi. I'm checking right now. I'm checking the Thor Ragnarok cast. Um, but ultimately, the visuals it looks poppy, despite you know the fact that an entire civilization gets wiped out, which they kind of downplay a bit. You know, it it definitely doesn't let up on the fact that this is going to be colorful and bombastic and fun. Also, they're playing into like this weird '80s vibe. I like, really that, dig that. Which a lot. I like it, but then it also makes me think of um, what's that Netflix Kung Fu Cop or the guy what? that's you know the one where he travels back in time. And that explains the laser raptors. Oh, oh, Kung Fury. Kung Fury. Um, Definitely gave me that kind of 80s vibe. Uh, I'm going to have to watch the trailer after the show again, just to refresh. But um, they obviously were just like, you know, Thor is one, you know, one, like, yeah, the Dark World was kind of like a, you know, play uh, by, by the numbers type film. You know, wasn't bad, wasn't great, wasn't really memorable. And this is really them being like, we could do a lot more with Thor. And Chris Hemsworth is a fun guy, has a great comedic chops, um, you know, and obviously is, you know, muscular and can bring the action. And we're just going to go all out. I, I loved uh, when he was like, I know him from work. Like, I love that Thor views that as work. That's pretty amusing to me. Uh, so looking it up, it looks like Sif and Volstag are both confirmed for the film, uh, but I do not see uh, Zachary Levi uh, or the other gentleman whose name I can't remember. Um, but yeah, so some of them are there. Oh, so no. No, no, that was 2015. Never mind. Sorry. I'm now I'm on Zachary Levi's Wikipedia page, and it's hard not to just get just get lost in that uh, that beautiful face of his. And uh, <laughs> sorry, what are we what are we doing? Uh, talking about Thor Ragnarok. So right, be, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, obviously, Thor. like Loki's going to be in it. They he's front and center in parts of the trailer. Um, it'd be interesting because obviously we left off with him sitting on the throne of Asgard. Well, in, like, um, in secret, right? But it felt like by the time this movie rolled around and with like the Dr. Strange stuff, like people know that it's Loki. I'm assuming, well, I'm getting the vibe based off the start of the trailer that, uh, well, the thing is at the end of age of Ultron, he travels back to Asgard. The trailer makes it seem like he's back on earth and runs into Hela who then like fights him and then banishes him. So if he goes back to Asgard, I'm wondering 
if they're going to follow up with that from the end of Age of Ultron, because obviously he's been missing for a while, you know, for over the course of like Civil War to yeah. now. And what, you know, the timeline will be interesting right. as yeah. far as yeah. where how they're, they're going to handle that. Because this movie is supposed to take place kind of concurrently with Civil War a little bit uh, to kind of. I don't think it's supposed to be concurrently. Well, it's supposed to, I guess, I mean, I guess it's supposed to. I, yeah, I guess it, it could take place after because they could just say, like, this is what Hulk's been doing the entire time. By the way, how often when they're opening those doors, um, does the Hulk just rush out and break them open? Like, how many doors are being replaced in this arena? <laughs> it's, it's a constant expense. Thankfully, he draws a big crowd. Yeah, apparently. Um, people like it, it. It will be interesting. Will they waste time on explaining? Will it be like a just a throwaway line? Will they I... actually do like a flashback? Because well... Age of Ultron, again, he is seen flying off to places unknown, but on Earth. I was listening. And... Oh, man. I was listening to this podcast. And this guy's like a pretty big Marvel guy, and uh, they were talking about this movie and how like, you know, it's kind of got like a, a Planet Thor like tint to it. Uh, Planet Hulk, Planet I mean, Hulk? Planet Hulk, yeah, Planet Thor. That's a movie I'd watch. Uh, it's got like a Planet Hulk like kind of tint to it, and he was like, "Well, I don't know how they're gonna like set up like the Illuminati and them putting like them putting him on a, a rocket and launching him into space." It's like that's because like, that's they're not. That's probably what's not going to happen because half the Illuminati. <laughs> are not even in the Marvel universe. And like, why would they suddenly be like, Oh yeah, this is a secret group that exists. That's like, in, that's like in saying like in Logan, like, I don't know how they're going to set up the venom T-Rex or red skull or anything like that. Yeah. It's like, they're obviously taking pe- bits and pieces and reformatting well, yeah. them to fit their story needs. Like they don't, they don't have to have the Illuminati and put them on. Like clearly he probably flies off on that Quinjet and either gets sucked into a wormhole somewhere on an island on Earth, or maybe does go to space or whatever. But clearly, it was just sort of like a freak accident or something. Maybe, and maybe because we see like Banner is keeps trying to find ways to get himself out of trouble. Maybe he launches himself into space somehow. Don't ask right. questions. Look, this is a guy who learned about radiation and somehow is an expert on artificial intelligence in Avengers Two because science is magic. In... I, I I do have to say I love with comics Marvel and DC that you have scientists that specialize in a certain field and then can do it, but then are masters of everything else. It drives me insane. Love it. I... Reed Richards, that guy knows everything. I know a lot of people who have their doctorates and like they can talk to you all day about their specific field, but if you start asking them about astrophysics, they'll be like, "Yeah, I I, I read like an article about that." They're not going to suddenly bust out equations because that's not what they studied for a hundred years. <sighs> I don't know if you're not Reed Richards. I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, yeah. Reed Richards. He's got that elastic mind. He can absorb anything. Yeah, I love it. I I know people with doctorates, David. Yep. Speaking of people that don't have doctorates, we're pretty sure uh, Dolph Lundgren uh, joins the Aquaman cast as David carried away. <laughs> Uh, Lundgren will be playing King Nearest, uh, of the aquatic kingdom of Zebel, who claims Mira as his own and wants to kill Aquaman. I'll get that Aquaman! I imagine it's... What the hell is going on in this movie? You've got Ocean Master, we've got Black Manta, right? Yep, Black Manta is cast. I don't see... And they're introducing, uh, Mira's, um, alternate dimension Atlantis place thing? So I don't see anything in this article, maybe just because they haven't cast uh, yet. Oh, I guess Orm, yeah. 
Um, look, man, I don't know. I haven't seen this movie yet. I don't feel like all of these characters are going to be front and center. You know, it could be set up for future films. We don't know what this is all going to look like, but true, I'm just... True. I'm, I, that's not me trying to speak ill on it. I'm just right. curious. It's just like, like, it's, it's, yeah, it's difficult to see. What is the main thrust? Because I would say that based on that description, one, uh, Dolph Lundgren, I imagine he's probably a great guy. I don't necessarily see him as leading okay. villain material like oh, Carrie. Oh. I mean, he couldn't carry... They, they didn't trust him enough to carry the He-Man film way back when, and that was their biggest mistake. Um, but... Um, yeah, Dolph Lundgren's not known for his acting abilities. So the fact that... He, also, I, I, when he first said that he was the king of Zebel, that made me thought that maybe he was Mera's dad. Which, like, maybe he could still... Let's say he well, wanted I mean, Mera for his own, so he's clearly... Well, but that's... But they're going off of... Um, probably like what the character is known for or, or unless that's like an official description i don't know it doesn't say uh so it's almost sounds like they're gonna have and i i, I can imagine for simplicity's sake that they won't make zebel like be in its own pocket dimension, dimension. they'll no. probably just have it be another it's gonna be underwater like city yeah it's gonna be another uh, here's how i think they're gonna handle it it'll be another underwater city that mara's either like from or like uh, probably from and uh and Dolph Lundgren is going to be like, yo, I got dibs on that. And Jason, <laughs> Jason Momoa will be like, I speak Dothraki, and uh, that'll be the end of that conversation. I also love that Patrick Wilson is playing Ocean Master. Orm. Like, I just, I can't, Did I you... just like, if whether he's a major threat in the film, or they kind of set him up as like, a supporting character or a hero, and he'll have like a heel turn at some point. Like just the idea that he'll like try and fight Jason Momoa is is funny. Yeah, Patrick Wilson trying to do that. Did you know that Nicole Kidman's in this movie? Oh yeah. Does it say who? Does it say who she's cast as? As Aquaman's mother. Oh okay. Apparently, she's like really big fan of James Wan or friends with James Wan, so That's he asked pretty... her to be in the film. That's pretty rad. I have a not so secret Nicole Kidman crush. Uh, like I can, I, 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 I think that's it's a pretty natural crush to have. And she's like a fine wine; she's just getting better with age. And uh, I'm gonna stop being creepy right now. For our last news story, which uh, is you were gonna wedge this brief. in, aren't you? All right, okay. Uh, oh, I put it. I put it in the show notes. Long story short, actually, it's a very short story. Tom King, the current writer of Batman. Uh, teases a uh, the new gods for summer 2017, specifically an image showing Big Barda and Mr. Miracle holding hands with a quote about escaping, which if those that know Mr. Miracle, he's all about the escape. Um, and got, it just says summer 2017. I've got a question for you. Who okay. is this Batman you speak of? Is this a man that dresses like a bat? Oh, how droll. Um... I will say that given that, you know, Tom King is known for more, um, <laughs> whatever, dude, <laughs> um, you know, I think he's more down. I can't say that he's actually known for down. He did a fantastic run on the vision. He had a critically acclaimed run on the Omega men. So he's definitely a jack of all trades when it comes to how he approaches his, what kind of genres he'll dabble in. Um, Obviously, his Batman story has been pretty fantastic. And, and when I say it, I mean, it's been great, but it's also been fantastic in the sense that he hasn't shied away from the fact that Batman is you know, square in the middle of the DC universe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So if this is in fact him teasing a new God's book that he will be writing, especially if it's in the vein of like the vision, you know, maybe sort of like a Shakespearean tragedy type thing or the Omega men, as far as like some sort of galactic level, um, politicking story, uh, makes me pretty excited. So I'll be interested to see how this shakes out. David, any thoughts? Uh, real quick, we're never going to talk about these characters again, specific, specifically because I just learned that Mr. Miracle's name is Scott Free. Yep. Yep. And that is terrible, so we're going to move right now into wow. our reviews. What? That is, a, that, is, that is comic sacrilege. That is a terrible name. For, and uh, it's so on the nose. I know that's so classic comics. Which is also what I love slash hate. I played the wrong sound clip to lead us into um, news earlier. And so I'm going to play the news sound clip now to lead us into reviews. Our top story today. (laughs) After a disappointing summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. All right, we're now going to get into our reviews. Nick, I have a question Will you be able to keep your one review under 20 minutes this time? Seven to Eternity, number five, by Rick Remender and Jerome O. Pena came out this week. It's a book that I have spoken about in the past that I am a big fan of. So you're just going to listen to me kind of ingratiate myself on the book for a couple of minutes. For a couple of minutes. Uh, so that David doesn't pull a hernia or have a hernia or whatever you do with hernias these days. What? You don't even know how hernias work. I know that they hurt, maybe. Um, anyway, uh, to kind of quickly catch you up, we're on, again, we're on issue number five. Uh, we're picking up where the last remaining Mozak knights are continuing their journey to the island of Torga, uh, where there is an ancient or powerful wizard um, that apparently will have the ability to sever the connection between the Mud King, the villain of the story, and the countless lives under his sway that have taken his offer. So again, we pick up more or less where the previous arc left off. Um, you know, they're all trying to still reach their destination. They're trying to stay under the radar. But of course, this being a Remender yarn, the universe is against them. So they don't get very far before one of the Mud King's children comes to assassinate them and free him. Uh, this all goes topsy-turvy, but leads to an important realization by Adam, which is then quickly spoiled by the Mud King, who is he's basically, he's literally King Troll. Um, and he has the ability to basically twist anything into a, into a knife. Uh, metaphorically speaking, but also maybe literal, who knows. The good on the book is that the story continues to be on point. Um, this is definitely a passion project by the two creators who also love to work together. They're really like a peanut butter and chocolate type combo, like Morrison and Quietly or Loeb and Sale. Just when these guys get together, they make magic. What I find that's interesting about the structure of this issue is that it speeds up long enough to tell you that in time story has progressed. Uh, for example, like in the first issue, it spends a lot of time, sort of, it slows down, gives you a little bit on Adam and his family, including his relationship with his father, and then proceeds to, again, you know, kill off his father. But that's like the main thrust of whatever the 20 or 22 pages of the story that it was. And then there's a couple of pages that sort of jump uh, around to Adam on his journey to the Mud King before ending at the Mud King. That's kind of a very simplified explanation of issue number one my point in telling it is simply that like it seems to be that he takes a moment in time of his narrative expands on it for a while and then kind of gives you bits to to catch up to whatever wherever the story needs to be next but he does it in a way that doesn't feel like like you want 
you want to be able to spend more time with because you're interested in these characters and you want more story, but it also doesn't feel like it's a waste or that it's done. It, it feels like it's being done deliberately. And, and in this case, in my opinion, succeeding. So for me, like obviously their mission is to get to this wizard, which I feel like is going to happen sooner rather than later. Um, and I know that the book is scheduled for at least 12 issues before they take probably an extended break. Um, so I, I get this feeling that again, we're only on issue five, assuming that this arc also follows like a four issue, uh, arc, um, that will probably be at the wizard by the end of that, which leaves another four issues, um, to kind of wrap up this all, again, whole initial macro arc. Um, I just feel like again with Remender because the universe is always against his characters and he really puts them through the grinder that you can't leave anything to expectations that something's going to get ripped out from under them. Um, but all that really is to say that I'm really enjoying this book and I try to be a little bit more vague. I can't speak for issue number one, of course, but for this issue so that you can just get into it fresh and enjoy it for yourself. But if you do like high fantasy, um, check it out. All right, very cool. That was and to continue on my second oh, book boy. that I'll discuss for an extent. No, uh, David, anyway, tell about whatever book you read. Uh, wow, joke. way to be so flippant. When I'm going to talk about a book that is pretty cool and I think in the current comic landscape pretty important, uh, and that is New Superman number 10. Just to kind of give everybody a lowdown on what's going on with New Superman. Not a hoedown? hey and, uh, and who New Superman is, he is Kong Keenan. Uh, he is a, uh, a, a young man uh, in China who was infused with the life force of Superman. Uh, however, he has had a hard time mastering his powers or even accessing them. And recently in the last few issues, he met uh, or was led to uh, a man called Master I Ching, who you know seems to have a special connection to uh, maybe the more mystical side of life, and uh, he explains this thing to Keenan uh, called the Baguya. I hope I'm not mispronouncing that. If I am, someone please let me know. Uh, and it is, or referred to as the path. Uh, and these are this is the way that he is able to access his powers. Uh, through these things that are called trigrams. There are eight of them. They make an octagon shape, the fr and they're tied to different parts of his body where like the life force sort of activates in him. It starts, uh, uh, trigram zero starts in the belly, uh, which is where he gets his invulnerability from. Uh, trigram one is his fists, and that's where he gets his super strength. Uh, two is the ear, which leads to super hearing. And uh, in this issue, he's able to access Trigram 3, which is in the thigh, which we find out is tied to um, uh, X-ray vision, actually, oddly enough. Uh, so in this issue, and the issue before this, uh, Lex Luthor came to Keenan and wanted him to help him with something that he had going on. Uh, it turned out being that he had this uh, doorway to uh, this hell dimension and uh, wanted to gain access to it because of this Superman sort of life force thing that was living in there. And of course, you know, Lex is kind of back to his morally ambiguous, possibly a bad guy. Or is he a bad guy full on again? I don't actually fully know. 
I'm not keeping track enough of that. So it kind of seems like he might be. Anyway, he wants access to this to gain knowledge on Superman's powers because that's classic Lex Luthor. Uh, this army of demons escapes out into LexCorp Tower, and you have uh, Superman himself show up. And while this fight's going on, there is China White Triad and uh, some other characters. One guy, I can't remember his name, he always refers to, he always refers to himself, uh, Strato the Cloud Man. That's what he calls himself, but he's like Stormish kind of powers. Um, Mm -hmm. and some other people, uh, who aren't really named. There's like a a female Chinese speedster who seems to be joining the book a little more permanently as sort of the Justice League of China's flash. Uh, anyway, they are able to, uh, as they're fighting, uh, they're able to get Keenan access to some new powers. Uh, Lex and I Ching are carried into this hell dimension for a moment and we get this hint kind of at this point and it's several other points in the book that I Ching is not all that he seems uh, that there's something else going on with him he's got some sort of powers some something's happening there uh, I'm very interested to see how that plays out and uh, there's an aspect to that that I do want to talk about possibly with a later issue I don't want to talk about it right now because it, there's kind of a, a neat little twist um, that's been set up for the last couple issues that I don't want to spoil. Uh, probably like the real heart of this issue, though, is the ending in which Keenan sits down and has a conversation with Superman. And they sit on the top of the Daily Planet globe and um, seem to be sharing uh, a soda. That's what they seem to be drinking. Uh, but they just kind of talk and there's some, just some really great advice moments. Uh, earlier in this book, one thing I thought was great is, you know, Keenan's what well, he's acted as the super hearing before and it was really loud. And he was like, how do I, how do you handle hearing everything to which Superman says, you know, you're hearing their pain, but you have to remember that, uh, that it is not your pain. And that is why you can help, you know, you can hear it because you can do something about it. Mm-hmm. You can't let it overwhelm you. And so that kind of becomes a theme for this. And they're, they're just kind of talking. And uh, like at one point, uh, Keenan sets up inadvertently what could be a dirty joke. And he there's a caption of it like, I wait for the dirty joke. And then, of course, Clark doesn't go for the dirty joke. He continues on with the conversation as normal. And it's just kind of this moment of like, well, that's why he's Superman. You know, like he's kind of got this wholesome aspect to him. Uh, but they just have this nice little conversation in which Clark is like, hey, something is happening. Uh, I'm going to need help, and I'm going to need help from you, so I need you to keep becoming the best Superman that you can be. And it's just really cool to like not have him be like, you know, when Dick Grayson became Batman and, Clark, uh, and uh, Bruce Wayne returned, his immediate response was like, I told you never wear the suit. Why are you wearing the suit? You shouldn't be Batman sort of situation, even though there was no Batman for a couple of years. Uh, and then you have Clark sitting here with this, uh, this kid from China who, you know, he doesn't know at all and who got his powers probably without his consent. And he's like, Hey, I'm going to need your help. I need you to be the best Superman that you can be. And it's, it's a really cool moment. Hmm. That I think speaks to why he is so awesome, uh, why Superman is so great, uh, and also kind of like the heart of this book because you have uh, Keenan wanting to be – because he has like some personal motivation in wanting to be Superman. He has some 
past injustices he wants to see uh, done away with. And uh, he kind of has a chance to maybe take the, the quick path, which is what he wants, but after... Uh, after the the misadventure and the interaction with Superman, he's like pretty gung ho about like really trying to earn his powers, um, which it's pretty typical, I would say. Uh, but it's a characterization I hope they keep up with, and they don't just keep introducing new ways for him to get powerful right now. But he has to like learn that you have to really try. Um, there's a lot more to this book than maybe even I initially thought when things started off, they found a lot of really great ways to give things some really great depth, uh, to be very respectful of the culture and the, um, in the belief systems and, uh, in the people it's, it's a really well put together book. I say it's important because I just don't know of many big name international superheroes and yeah, he's still fairly new, but he's got the name Superman on him. And the book seems to be doing well enough that the character's sticking around. Uh, so I think people should definitely give this book a really fair chance. People should give just support it if they're able to. Uh, because comics are a global thing. And there's people on Reddit who were like, hey, I, you know, I am a, I'm a Chinese-American. I wanted to get into comics. And I, got, I picked up New Superman because this looks like a character that you know, that I can relate to in some mm-hmm. way. And that's super cool. That's the kind of stuff that we need. Uh, just to mention the people behind it, you have uh, Jen Luen Yang, or Jean Luen Yang, uh, writing pencils by Victor Bogdavonic. Bog- yeah, why not? Uh, inks also by Victor and Jonathan uh, Glabion. The art, very serviceable in this book. So, uh, it's I like the style of it. There's... I think that moment of them sitting on top of the Daily Planet globe is is real neat, and like the demons and stuff have really good designs. Uh, all in all, this is a really strong book that I think people should be checking out. Awesome! Thank you for you know doing what I did last week and and not stop talking. But uh, hey, that being said, <laughs> I only went I only went I went for less time than you did last week. Sure, you know what? I don't, no one no one ever timed it, so who's to say for sure? No, but that that sounds really interesting. Um, I'm really curious. I, I again I haven't been able to keep up with a lot of the books, but I know that I guess the one of the recent changes with soup the, the you know Clark Kent Superman is that the pre-New 52 Superman and the New 52 Superman are, in fact, the same person, that he was split, that there was all this yada, yada, yada. It's comics, everybody. Um, But that supposedly, like, memories have been shifted and timelines have shifted to account for that fact. So one thing that I don't think has been made clear, unless it just wasn't detailed in any of the articles I've read about it yet, is how that affects the recent past. Like, did New 52 Superman still die? Um because you have Clark and Lois showing up at the Daily Planet, where apparently um, Perry White is there is the godfather of their son. So like like reality has a line to make this work. But if the only time the Superman's ever actually died was Death of Superman, where how does that account for yeah. characters like New Superman, you know, and his place? So I'll be interested yeah. to see if they address that. Well, in this book, there's even like a. This book is full of, like, editor notes that are like, see this, go check out this. And one here uh, is, see the see the final days of Superman. Uh, but what's always pretty funny is that now they have, um, like, the editor, one doesn't just say, it doesn't just say, like, see the final days of Superman, Paul. Uh, it says, see the final days of Superman, 
the final days of Paul. And like when they, I guess uh, there was something, they tied this into a green lantern, uh, one of these issues into a green lantern issue. Uh, so it was like, go read this to see what the people who had star starrows on them. Uh, and then it was like Paul, uh, Paul or lantern. Like, I just, I like that they're getting a little silly with stuff because they have to like keep throwing in editor note every five minutes. <laughs> well, awesome. Yep. I think, uh, you know, looking at the time, it's about time for us to, you know, you and I both had a busy week, so we did not get a chance to find a book that both of us had read. Uh, we did a discussion question last week, so why don't we just go ahead and move into our recommendations in which we have to ask ourselves the ever-important question. You boys aren't nerds, are you? We are absolutely nerds. Nick, do you have anything to recommend, or do you want me to vamp a little for you? Yeah, let's do some vamping. All right, so what I'm going to recommend, uh, I'm pretty sure I've recommended this show before, but I'm going to go uh, for it again because season two is now on Netflix, and that is Legends of Tomorrow. It is the uh, DC Flareoverse, whatever, CW... Super Flareoverse of Tomorrow. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I forgot what we called last week's episode. Super Flareoverse of Tomorrow. It is them uh, just straight up embracing time travel and comic bookiness and and going for it and i'm only a couple episodes in but they have like the justice society of america from like the 1940s and it's it's been pretty rad so far i'm enjoying it um a couple of the main characters have left sadly but i wouldn't say that right now i'm, I'm necessarily feeling the loss of them though anytime wentworth miller is not in a dc show i'm i'm pretty sad about it um <laughs> so i'm excited that i mean i know he had to go do well you know okay i know he's, he's in a few episodes as captain cold um and also same with arrow or flash but i was gonna say i know he had to go do prison break because they apparently they're doing more prison break uh but his brother Heatwave is also like full time on that show, and yet he's doing Legends of Tomorrow. So what gives? what gives? I think it's more with how they left off season one, which I haven't was, finished. By I know a bit still, of the deets. He was still hanging around. He was part of the crew. No, he died. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. Crap, he did die, didn't he? I forgot they did that. So I think it was more that they were making whatever turn, again, I don't know how it plays out, but whatever turn he does have to the show was story-related, so they didn't keep him on as long, or didn't feature him as heavily. Right. I forgot that he... Man, okay. Well, anyway, slight spoilers for the end of uh, Season 1 there. Uh, Nick, do you, have anything, do you think of anything to recommend there? I don't recommend... Ghost in the Shell. Oh, the, the, the new, movie. The new it's movie. actually the live-action movie. Um, so I'm going to do a don't recommend. Oh, uh, I should say that um, I was very critical of the film. Now, I wasn't particularly critical of the film going in. Well, I definitely respect a lot of the the issues certain people had for various reasons. When I went in to watch it, I really just tried to put all of that aside and just be like, am I going to enjoy this movie just for what it is? visually the movie is stunning definitely evokes both obviously the ghost in the shell aesthetic but you know as well as other you know genre classics like blade runner the matrix um but as far as like the actual execution of the story and, and feeling connected to the characters it falls short 
Um, I, it's been so long since I've seen the original movie. I don't remember the exact plot. I don't know. I know that some scenes in the live action film are ripped directly from the manga or the, the uh, original anime. Um, and again, visually stunning, but as far as the plot goes, it's, it sets up a lot of interesting ideas, wants to explore some interesting philosophical points, and then just kind of devolves into an overly simplistic revenge flick that again, kind of ends in a, on a, as a dud, in my opinion. Um, there were elements with Scarlett Johansson that I liked. I liked the way that she sort of moved in kind of like a jaggy fashion. Like she, you know, which was epitomized when there was a scene of her kind of like sat on a table and the way her body was positioned was that she looked like an action figure positioned there. Cause you have to remember that she's living in a, you know, synthetic, whatever robot body. Um, so I thought that was an interesting, you know, acting cue or whatever. Um, but other than that, um, I don't think she was directed well. I don't think that how her, the, the, the idea of that her, how her character was supposed to be, but then also how like she was supposed to serve the plot, the serve and the characters weren't the weren't, or the plot and the characters weren't serving each other. There's a lot of ton, tons of things I could say, but because I'm not recommending it, um, you know, I, I guess I, I guess actually, if anything, when I don't recommend something, I should probably go deeper into it to explain why, but I won't because David is a sad person, uh, and is probably annoyed with me right now. <laughs> I'm always annoyed uh, with you, but that's beside the point. Is that your secret at the end of Avengers one? Yeah. I'm always annoyed. I'm always, that's why I turn into the incredible Nulk. <laughs> Nulk. Um, um, but anyway, um, if I would say maybe if you catch it on like a Netflix or like a Redbox or whatever, people get their cheaper fixes of, of con- consumption these days. Maybe check it out there. Um, oh Lord, everyone... I've got the consumption. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was unfortunate because I part of me did want to go like I tried to go into it with no expectations or at least feeling hopefully positive about it, and I unfortunately was left dissatisfied. So I do not recommend Ghost in the Shell live action. All right. Well, interesting not recommendation there. Way to give him free press anyway there, buddy. I did. You can give us free press by heading over to heckyeahcomics.com. And, of course, you can reach out to us all the time to share your thoughts. What did you think about Ghost in the Shell? Tell us at heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Heck yeah Comics. You can follow me on Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram at Davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. You can find Nick uh, attempting to connect with the ghost in his shell, whatever that means. And as always, you can find us here next week, same Heck yeah time, same Heck yeah channel. Until then, goodbye. Worst episode ever.